Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Before we jump into the episode, I want to take a quick moment now to thank one of the sponsors who made this episode possible, Bioptimizers, who have developed Sleep Breakthrough, a delicious and powerful drink for people who are so tired of tossing and turning every single night trying to get a good night's sleep. Sleep Breakthrough is the very first fully optimized sleep drink designed to help you fall asleep in minutes so that you can experience deep, high-quality sleep and also wake up feeling refreshed and energized every morning. And if you happen to be one of those people that wakes up in the middle of the night, Sleep Breakthrough also will help you fall back to sleep in no time at all. I love to drink it about 45 minutes before I plan to go to sleep. Not only do I experience better, more restful sleep, but I wake up feeling more refreshed every morning. And let's face it, when it comes to longevity and health span, we all know that quality sleep is a critical component to our success. So all you have to do is visit sleepbreakthrough.com forward slash bionat to learn more and order now. But if you're a listener of this podcast, you're going to want to make sure to use discount code BIONAT10 because not only will you get a discount, but for selected orders, you will receive a pair of blue light blocking glasses and other special gifts. This is a limited time offer. So don't wait. You want to get your hands on this now. And now let's talk about our guest for this episode. Our guest is Dr. Rand McLean. And Dr. McLean is a regenerative specialist, but he does it all, right? What we talk about in this episode a lot is stem cells. You're going to learn about the role that they play in regenerative medicine. We're going to talk about how stem cells are used to heal a variety of issues from chronic disease to concussions, how to prepare your body for stem cell treatments, what you can do today to change your health right now. Dr. McLean believes it's never too late to change your health. So you are definitely going to want to listen on these and many more gems. So a little bit about our guest is Dr. Rand McLean. He's kind of been one of those guys that's ever since he was a kid, he's been into nutrition and wellness and his journey to become a leader, which is what he is right now in alternative and progressive medical treatments has been anything but orthodox. He was the youngest senior account manager in Deloitte's history. That's right, like Deloitte, that's the consulting firm. Then he went on to become a professional boxer in Argentina. He was then accepted to med school at age 37 after so many people told him it was literally impossible. This guy clearly doesn't take no for an answer and he is no fan of the status quo. So if you love this episode, you are absolutely going to want to get your hands on his latest book that just came out this month called Cheating Death. It is like a primer for how to optimize your life and health span, all the different regenerative treatments out there. He even talks about peptides in there. He's just a wealth of information. So where can you connect with Dr. McLean? He's got a great website, drrandmclean.com. He also has another website, psrmed.com. And he's on Instagram under dr.randmclean. And then at those places, you're going to find all the other places to find him. But guys, this book, Cheating Death, definitely a great read. It's just an easy read. It was written for you and me so that 
we can get all the information that we're looking for in the least amount of time. Now, before we actually dive into the episode, we have one more sponsor to thank, and that is Berkeley Life Nitric Oxide. Guys, if nitric oxide isn't part of your daily regimen and you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I don't know. I'm, I'm telling you, you're going to want to listen to the rest of this message. Get this. Your body is home to over 60,000 miles of blood vessels. Nitric oxide helps circulate blood to all those vessels through vasodilation. And while it's made naturally in your body, we know this, that's how important it is. The problem is that we produce less nitric oxide as we age, which results in diminished blood flow and less effective circulation of critical oxygen, key nutrients, and glucose. And if we don't have that, we can't function properly, let alone age properly. So Berkeley Life is my go-to for nitric oxide support. I take two dietary nitrate capsules in the morning and I'm good to go. And the more I learn about nitric oxide, including its impact on proper hormone balance and oxidative stress, the more I encourage all of my clients to join me in incorporating Berkeley Life's easy daily supplement into their daily wellness routine. So last thing is how do you get your hands on this stuff? So you can go to berkeleylife.com. Just use my code N-I-D-D-B-L when you register and check out for 10% off your first order. So without further ado, I'm going to thank you profusely for being here, for sticking with me through the big long intro, and also for all of your comments and feedback. I so appreciate them. If you get value from this episode, please make sure that you share it. And if you haven't already done so, please do leave us a review because it's those reviews that really help us to climb up the ranks. And if you're looking to connect directly with me, you know that you can go to my website, natnidham.com. You can find information about my membership community there, which is the BSP community on Mighty Networks, no censorship there, folks. You also want to sign up for my newsletter because then you get to be one of the first people to know when my new peptides course is going to be available. And that should be in the next couple of weeks. And of course, you can always join the Optimizing Superhuman Performance Group on Facebook. But just remember that we got to watch our language over there because there's people watching and listening and they don't always love the topics that we talk about. So without a second more delay, let's get into the episode and meet Dr. Rand McLean. Enjoy. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Rand McLean. It is such a pleasure to have you here today. It's mine. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no, this is exciting. I don't even know how. I think I think it's your team found me somehow. And when we looked you up, I was like, yes, this is the guy I want to talk to. <laughs> well, that makes you feel good too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, as I said to you before, like when I looked at the list of topics that were being offered up, I'm, I said to my assistant, I'm like, well, can't we talk about all of them? She said, no, you have to pick one, maybe two. I'm like, all right, fine. I'll pick one, maybe two. But maybe Randall have such a good time with me that he'll offer to come back and then we can talk about number three and four. <laughs> sure. Well, let's see if I if I give you more than you want, and then you might not want me back. But yeah, we'll we'll start with one and go from there, right? All right. Now I think we're going to do just fine. Okay. So before we launch, how about we talk a little bit about you and what you do and why you do what you do? Because you're in this, you know, you're in this space of regenerative medicine, which is, I think, a term that's been created by the people in your space because there was really nothing in medicine 
that really existed? Like, do they teach even teach regenerative medicine in med school at this point? Or is that just a foreign concept? No, in med school, that would definitely be considered a foreign concept. And you're right. It's, it's, a, it's a specialty that doesn't exist as an official specialty. The, the word has been invented, uh, really, I think we started with the rejuvenative medicine for a while. And of course, before that was anti-aging medicine, it still is in some circles. But yeah. regenerative medicine, I think, catches it, uh, you know, better mm-hmm. than most. And it is wide open. And, you know, you know, specialties in internal medicine, you could say, is somewhat wide open, too, defend, depending upon what aspects of internal medicine you're practicing. But with regenerative, yeah, there's not a specialty and it is pretty wide open and will only be growing as we find more ways to improve health span, which is what regenerative medicine is essentially about. Which I love because ultimately, you know, as we talked about before the show, as I talk about very often with my guests is we all, you know, especially those of us, you know, I'm kind of on the tail end of the baby boomer generation and we want it all. Not only do we want to live a really long time, we have no plans of leaving this planet anytime soon, but we want to look good. We want to be able to climb mountains. We want to have our head together. We want to be able to, you know, we want to live a full life for for a very long. So we've really upped the ante because I think, you know, if you go back a little while, people were just like, well, I just don't want to die so young. And so people didn't want to die young. And it's almost like they asked the genie for the wrong thing. So the genie said, yeah. sure, you don't want to die young? No problem. And so now you have like these these places filled with people who can't remember their names can't wipe their own butts, like, you know, stuck in a wheelchair, like living this, this really miserable existence. And so the rest of us kind of went, oh, wait, wait, there's a better question to ask the genie. <laughs> You're right. And I would go so far as to say, without exception, really, and that's rare, you can say that without exception, everyone I've ever spoken to, at least in my office, but I would say outside too, would, if forced, you know, to choose choose living shorter yeah but of a higher quality than the other way around hands down no absolutely you know, and the beauty of regenerative medicine right now is you don't have to make that trade because all the stuff that we're doing is improving your quality of life and also extending it at the same time for example if we're you know improving uh, sugar metabolism Mm-hmm. Um, you could argue that you know your metabolic dysfunction is the key to pretty much the five major killers in Western world these days. You know, type two diabetes and coronary artery disease, etc. You're extending your life while improving it because you get your blood sugars better, you feel better, you operate better, you function better, obviously, and it, you know you stave off type two diabetes, which tends to have, as does coronary artery disease and cancer, etc. Tends to shorten your life too. So it's a win-win. Yeah. And shortens your quality of life, right? Because those, those, just the type two diabetes and coronary disease will ultimately very often lead to some kind of cognitive decline or dementia or neurodegenerative disease to in some way, shape or mechanistically. And we're exactly where we don't want to be. So the, d- those diseases of aging, if we can nip them in the bud or avoid them in the first place, I think it's job one really yeah but, we're finding out too that even if you don't start early on in life uh uh for example we've done some studies showing that you know if you don't start manipulating your blood sugars and other things that are manipulated by using say metformin which is a diabetes drug that's been around forever generally very very safe that if you start at 30 you're still going to get a huge benefit out of it somewhat like what we found out with you know former smokers 
as long as you stop smoking sooner rather than later, you know, quit digging a hole. Yeah. It fills back up that hole much sooner than, you know, it's not linear and you don't have to, you know, I've been smoking for 30 years. It's going to take me 30 years to get back to a non-smoker state. No, it reverses fairly quickly. So that's another beauty of what we see coming you know, ahead or, and currently in, in regenerative medicine is that, you know, there, there's hope. And, and we touched on this a little bit before we started talking uh, on, uh, you know, on the, on the podcast about, you know, people thinking, ah, oh, I've already blown it. No, you haven't. Mm-hmm. Just because you've been doing it for 30, 40 years doesn't mean you're, you're sunk and might as well, you know, live by the same sword, uh, you know, die by the sword and all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, yeah, you, you can reverse a lot of things that you've done as well as, by the way, I might add, reverse some of the things that you were born with. And that goes into, you know, gene editing that we've developed and, and all kinds of good stuff. So a lot of good uh, news on the horizon here. Uh, well, I say on the horizon currently as well as on the horizon. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about because I know that, you know, we talk a lot about epigenetics, right? So you're born with a certain set of genes. And for the most part, unless you have there are certain genetic variants, obviously, that are going to set you up for a very bad outcome. But for the most part, these are these are, you know, these are switches that are get switched on or off in many ways by some of the decisions that we make, whether it's lifestyle, how we manage our stress, the diet, like all of the different things. So, but you're talking here maybe about taking that a step further and in some cases being able to modify genes so that they don't express. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I'll use your analogy. It's a good one because the genome boils down to the switches that you're that you inherit. Okay. And I like your analogy because then the epigenome is a reflection more of what you do with those switches. Some you switch on, some you switch off in a way that improves your quality of life, improves your health span. Right. Uh, there's a field of study. I, I would give most of the credit to Steve Horvath where, mm-hmm. you know, the methylization of these, these um, genes can, can turn them on or off, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, lack thereof or, or whether you methylate them, et cetera. And that's huge. What's, what's, what's a great upshot of that is given that, you know, you've got this set of switches that you're born with, um, without any gene editing. And we can circle back to that in a second. You can still change. You can flip the switch on or off again. I'm going to, I'm going to use your analogy from now on. It's a great one because, um, (laughs) It's a good visual for people. (laughs) Yeah, no, it is. It's a pretty simple one too, but very accurate. Just because you flip the switch on or off doesn't mean you can't change that. And that's the beauty of medicine. And that's why we're looking for some of these, we call them um, aging markers. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's what we call the biological age, which is a reflection of your health. And then there's, of course, the chronological age, which we can't change that. And, And DNA methylation is one of those... I, I would say no one would really argue that it's not a, a great biomarker for aging because it's, it's very, very close, uh, very, very accurate. It's used to, to, to estimate. Nobody knows what your chronological age is. We give them uh, your genome uh, um, and we can check for uh, DNA methylization, uh, methylation and, and come very close to your age, oftentimes within a half a year, at most maybe a, a year and a half on average. And so uh, we've got some ways to check this. And the beauty of that is 
we can apply some of the things that we know about, you know, anti-aging devices, whether it's supplements or activities of daily living, you know, cold baths. And I mean, there's a myriad of things and that's the beauty of it too, that we can choose from because maybe people don't like jumping in a finished lake that's, you know, 33 <laughs> degrees, you know, they prefer the heat. So you can use infrared sauna or something like that. But you, you can see with some of these markers, whether they're working for you or not. If the, if the switches, which were off can now be turned on and vice versa. So again, going back to uh, the excitement going forward here, we, we've got a lot of options. The, and going back to gene editing, that's a step further where, you know, here you have your window of opportunity, as it were, of, of switches. Well, if you've got a bad set or some that are locked in the wrong position on or off with gene editing, we can go back into the cells and say into the DNA itself and snip sometimes the ones, take out those switches and replace them with the switches we want. Or sometimes you don't necessarily have to remove the, the bad ones. We can add the good ones. So we've got options there. Um, and that's being done as we speak. Is it? And is it safe? Does it work? I mean, I'm sitting here going, you know, I'm pretty open to pretty much anything. And I'm like, I don't know. Do I want somebody going in and messing with my DNA? <laughs> and how do you... Right. And how do you find, like, which, which DNA, because we have D DNA helixes in all of our cells. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you do that? How does that work? Well, I, I'll say with the exception of red blood cells, but the. Okay. Yeah. The, but you know, a lot the, of the, the cells. The, <laughs> we're, we're going in and, and uh, we're, we're finding that, you know, starting with mapping out the genome, we're finding what, what's responsible for what. Mm -hmm. What correlates with this uh, official disease? Okay. We can also obviously, you know, find out that there's more than one uh, gene that affects this disease state or this propensity, for example, coronary artery disease. Right. Uh, when it comes to uh, right now, typically a rare disorder. Okay. Because it helps us narrow it. We can say, okay, here are the, 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 different sets of genes and sequence that we can snip or replace um, and we'll correct this rare disorder again, because it makes it easy to some degree because we're not dealing with propensities for blue eyes or something like that, so right. which is more. Than one. And also uh, you've got people oftentimes that are uh, unfortunately fairly desperate for a solution, you know, blue eyes versus brown eyes is not something that you know we, no this is this is not life-threatening no uh but you know that's where most of the testing is done right now and uh we've got the carriers we've got uh crispr is the most well known but we've got different carriers uh you know viruses that can take the the, the requisite dna where it needs to go splice it in take it out uh and we've had some great success. Now we have had some setbacks mm -hmm. where it didn't carry very well. And, and, and by the way, this is used also in immunology uh, because we can treat, you know, for example, certain cancers uh, by, by splicing in the things we want and, and, and sending it to the certain cells we want, um, the cancer cells. Uh, but all in all, we've made huge strides forward. And of course, yeah, I, I mean, you smiled when we talked about it a little bit and I, and I can think of, you know, some of the things we talk about, well, I want to make sure that, you know, uh, I want to have the jumping ability of Michael Jordan. So right. if, can, can we splice in some of his genes for his muscles or something like that? Um, as great as that sounds, it's unfortunately a little bit more complicated than that, but 
we are doing some pretty weird things actually very successfully with, uh, you know, uh, glowing dogs. And you go, what? That's science yeah, fiction. Yeah, no, I no, read about that recently. Okay, so you've read about it already. You know, that's something I think uh, proves that it works, but to what end, I don't know. You know, somebody's fancy of having, uh, just saying they can do it or whatever. But um, yeah, some of the more complicated cases haven't always worked out well, but the promise is there for sure. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I think the glowing dog thing was more of a, of a proof of execution, right? Like it's hard, yeah. it's, it's hard to show that you've changed it. Let's say you've changed a gene for, for cardiovascular disease. You can make something glow in the dark. It's pretty impressive. That's not supposed to glow in the dark. <laughs> well, and, and you know what, you it's bring something concept, up. So. It's more like proof of concept than anything else. <laughs> well, along those lines of a, of a different concept and stop me if I'm going too far afield here, but one of the cool things that we can do is that we can take tissue and we can take those genes that we know correlate say with a propensity for coronary artery disease formation or development and instead of testing on Worcester rats which that's a whole other subject of how it really probably doesn't even come close to representing us not just because it's not human but because it's a really strange form of of uh of rodent to begin yeah. with and it doesn't really apply to the average american or at least the average healthy one but we can we can come up with say heart tissue or liver tissue whatever it might be and in a petri dish now study the effects of different drugs and therefore really accelerate the process without having to test it on humans to see i mean you might have heard that you know certain people don't react to statins very well at all it just Absolutely. doesn't work and even metformin that. right even metformin, there's some people respond well to metformin and other people just don't. Well, that gets even more complicated because certain mm -hmm. cancers, although most react well to use of metformin, certain of them can be furthered, we find now. But yeah, these are the things that we can all tease out in the lab is what I'm yeah. getting at using yeah. gene editing before we start testing on humans. And it really will accelerate the process so that we can say, oh, you have those genes? Great. We've already done the testing. We'll use this drug on you instead. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I, I think, you know, just that piece alone, I know that um, I I do some genomic testing for my my clients and I don't go a lot into the pharmacological aspect of it because I'm not a medical doctor. I don't want to sit and have certain conversations with people. You know, even in, in the tests that I run, like we can look at how fast do you metabolize anesthetic, for example? Like how interesting would that be to know when you're going in for surgery that you're the kind of person that's gonna need way more anesthetic that, or I don't know if it's quantity or type of anesthetic, but that your body's gonna metabolize it much faster versus someone else where it's gonna last a lot longer. And so maybe you would adjust the dose or you would use a different kind. What, you know, I'm not an anesthesiologist, but, but how interesting that we can actually get this information from a person's genetics and and save them some heartache and misery and exactly and fine-tune medication to what they need. Before you go down the wrong way, which could be actually hurtful if not harmful, and uh, save yourself the unnecessary gnashing of teeth that comes with choosing the wrong one and who happen to switch to a different one because you found out the hard way. That that's exactly my point. Yeah, huge. Huge. Okay, so now we've gone down a rabbit hole we weren't even supposed to talk about. So let's get back to our track. <laughs> and so, I, I know you did warn me, but I, but you know, as long as it's interesting, we're good. As long as it's good content, we're we're golden. And I think so far we've talked about super interesting stuff. So 
you know, I thought we were going to talk about stem cell therapies first, but you actually alluded to this other topic already. So let's go back to this and let's talk a little bit about that it's not too late. That even if, let's say, in your 20s and your 30s, maybe even to a degree in your 40s, you don't, you, you hadn't bought into this healthy lifestyle business, right? You were partying, you were drinking, you're smoking, you're eating the wrong foods, you're not really exercising, maybe you're not exercising at all, you're burning the candle at both ends. Assuming you survive those decades and you wake up one morning and you go, that's it, I'm puffy, I look horrible, I feel worse. Is it too late? Like, can I undo the damage? So can we talk a little bit about what is it that you're damaging? What are the things you can turn the clock back on? Is there a too late or is there is there always time? There's always time. That's an easy one to answer. And I would argue that it applies to most of us. I mean, what you just described is is, is a lot of uh, some people we might know fairly well as college life, you know, except for the lack of <laughs> yeah. exercise part, you know, play a sport. Uh, but, you know, most of us overcome that. And, uh, you know, what we're really talking about here, and it's a different angle than what we just talked about is, regeneration to counter degeneration we've accelerated the degenerative process typically by you know drinking in excess smoking not exercising uh, not doing the right things when it comes to diet and that's a that's a pretty big one i won't go too far afield there but you know yeah. everyone's a little different there as you well know and then mm -hmm. and not getting enough rest which people tend to ignore uh since the invention of the light bulb really yeah uh, exactly. the world. so you know, you got some some pretty big things that affect pretty much everybody, and and uh, we can reverse or certainly slow the degenerative process using stem cells. I argue most of it, though, we can actually, uh, if not fully stop, actually reverse the process, and that's the beauty. Now, some people will say, "Well, that's great. Well, then I can. Why why can't we just, you know, uh, what was it, Benjamin uh, Benjamin Button, Button or whatever? Yeah, why yeah, can't yeah. We Benjamin Button. Well, because being on the planet, by that very nature, we're always in that degenerative process. So it's not a one and done, and we can't go back that far, but we can certainly oppose the degeneration. And, of course, some of this is not necessarily from drinking. Some of it's just like, you know, for those of us that like sport, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and like to compete, for example, which we now find is not necessarily the best thing for you. No, uh, it'll shorten your lifespan. Yeah. Absolutely. And I remember seeing the first signs of that. I won't name his name, but one of the, you know, the early marathoners and land speed record holders, I remember meeting him and, and you know, he's one of my heroes and thinking, this guy's only 36. He looks like he's 63. And I don't mean that in a mean sense. I just remember it was an easy observation. There was too much oxidation going on, right? Mm -hmm. and, and not enough recovery, et cetera. Well, that can, that can hit a lot of us too. And so part of my point though, is that you know, you can do stem cells till the cows come home, but if you're also working out and, and using those stem cells to to further your, you know, competitive nature, et cetera, well, you know, you're, you're, you got to find the balance. But stem cells are really, I mean, you refer to a genie. These are more like a genie than anything else because <laughs> you could argue a monkey could do it. Once you collect the cells, if that's what you're doing, or once you initiate their release from your own bone marrow, they know what to do. The stem cells, certainly your own, will engraft in the area that needs the work. So right. if you've just had, God forbid, an, an MI, a heart attack, and you've damaged some of your heart cells, the stem cells know to home in on the, that area 
and replace the damaged cells with the stem cells that then differenti differentiate into heart muscle cells. That's pretty cool, mm -hmm. right? What we're finding now is what comes with what's contained in what we call the exosomes mm -hmm. are very important. Uh, also in some of the other uh, fluid, the tissues, uh, you'll find, uh, well, everyone knows about messenger RNA now since COVID, but you know, it's been around uh, longer than COVID, but those, those messenger RNA will go to the bone marrow and say, Hey, works over here, guys, we've got damage you know, to use our example here, heart muscle, come over here and replace it with some of our own cells that are created in, in the, in the bone marrow and then differentiate once they get to the, the heart muscle. That's amazing. I mean, I, you know, I'm a nerd. I think this is super amazing, but even if you're not into science, that didn't that sound amazing? I mean, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm right do. with you. Yeah. 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 No. So um, that's what we have going on with stem cells now. And I'm happy to state that only recently as a result of uh, a lawsuit that I believe was brought by the FDA against uh, Dr. Berman, mm -hmm. who's taken a lot of the arrows front and back for those of us in the field that were like, wait a minute, the FDA is calling stem cells a drug? Yeah, apparently, what was it? It was as soon as they pulled them out of your body, now they become a drug and now they're regulated by the FDA. I remember hearing this going, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. And I, I don't mean to, and it's not just because I don't want to get grief from the FDA. It, it's really, I understand the idea of trying to protect the public. It's just, they chose a way, I guess they were grabbing at whatever straws they could to try and regulate it because there was some bad stuff going on with people with stem cells, but that happens in any industry. Mm -hmm. No excuse. You still want to try and control it. But I think they picked a way that just wasn't tenable. You know, if you've got any mind for science, yeah, like you say, what? Those are a drug. Those are my cells. And, and, and the key words they use were, if you more than minimally manipulate those cells, then they become a drug. And we don't have to go into the details. No. Of it. The upshot of it is that the judge here in California, where the, the, the suit was filed, ruled in favor of Dr. Berman and said, you know, in, in his uh, uh, findings of fact and conclusion of law, and it was actually written very brilliantly. Uh, you ask any attorney and they'll say, wow, that was really well written. Nice. The upshot is, hey, these are not drugs and we can use them. So as of the last month or so, and that's because the deadline passed after a month in which the FDA had a uh, time to appeal. Um, and you'd think you'd hear more about it. I was just talking to, to someone in the business today about it. I was like, why isn't everyone jumping up and down and celebrating? But the bottom line is we can now use them in the United States, like in so many other countries, at least that's the way I'm interpreting law. And I think this is going to be a huge boon for those of us that, you know, could use the regeneration, which per our earlier part of this conversation, I think applies to all of us. Yeah, no uh, kidding. There are very few risks involved with certainly using your own cells. It would be more in the collection process, which I can talk about all you want, but also with umbilical cord tissue cells where it's somebody else's, as long as you go through the process of proper screening and third-party testing, very minimal risk there too, and only yeah. upside. Yeah. So we've talked about a few different things of stem cells now. So let's let's dig into a few of them in order. So number one, you talked about stimulating the release of your own stem cells in from the bone marrow. So this is the least invasive of the procedures. It's 
you know, you're, and, and this is a natural mechanism in the human body, the natural mechanism of self repair and self regeneration, where we have a stash of stem cells in our bone marrow. It's sitting there waiting to be activated. We've got these chemical messengers that come along and say, there's been damaged you guys, we need your help. And so off they go. But there's things that stop uh, that stop that release of stem cell. Maybe there's at some point, I don't know if there's kind of a stem cell exhaustion thing that happens, but maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, and I'm sure as we age, we're not as able to mobilize those stem cells and send them out because if, if we were, then we would just keep repairing and that apparently isn't happening. So, so let's talk a little bit about that. And then from there, let's talk about the autologous stem cells, which are whether they're extracted from the bone marrow, like, because, you know, there's fat, there's adipose tissue and then the, the bone marrow and that's our own. And then, and then what you were just talking about, which would be like the umbilical cord stem cells. So I'm guessing there's different applications for all of these things, different reasons why you would use different ones. And so off you go. I've probably asked about seven questions in there. No, Let's no, no, start no. about the, 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 the mobilization of our own stem cells. Yeah. No, and please keep me on track because yeah, that is a lot to cover. But I'm I'm your huckleberry there. I'll I'll do it. I, I love talking <laughs> about this stuff. So in, in terms of your own, you know, yeah, you the word we use is the cells senesce. Yes, these stem cells get older and they don't work as well. Even if you've got a, a brand new car, never been driven, if you left it in the garage for forty years, it's not going to be the same vehicle as it just came off the lot, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the concept here. And of course, if you drove it, well, it's even more going to need some repair. And we are talking about stem cells here. We're not talking about the actual cells. The stem cells can senesce so that the propensity to become another cell and, and you know, that's needed and work as well diminishes with time. Okay. And yeah, uh, you can do things to make it. I mean, I would argue there's a confluence of, of various things that make it so that your bone marrow doesn't work as well. Those stem cells don't work as well. Any sort of insult to the body, you know, is, is going to make it so that it doesn't work as well. That whole process, which works great when you're, you know, three years old and mm -hmm. probably when you're 16, but starts to diminish over time. Certainly by the time you're 26, the argument goes right. When you've, when you've hit the, you're starting, you know, supposedly you fully matured there and you're on the downside at, at 26, <laughs> right? You're not growing anymore at least. So, yeah, and that one's kind of obvious. So I guess, you know, to spend a lot of time talking about senesce cells, I guess the one thing that we know about senesce cells, though, is that they also contribute to the process even more. So you don't want to mass them quickly. You don't want to mass them at all. But I use the example of, a, of an untuned car, mm -hmm. okay? It's spewing exhaust, right. okay, uh, with more poisons in it that's going to affect surrounding cells. And that's one way to think of uh, senesce cells. Um, and that's why you want to get rid of them. Although there's a recent study saying that there's sometimes is value to these uh, senesce cells and, and you're better off even having a broken, you know, a car that's not well enough tuned, but you know, there's always going to be that fine line anyway. So. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's funny, like people, people have tendency to go absolute, right? Like, I mean, certainly in the biohacking community, people are like abolish senescent cells. You know, what can I take? I'll take rapamycin and I'll take quercetin. And like, there's those, the, the satinib, like that, that, that study with that, it's a chemo drug, right? And quercetin showing that it wipes out senescent cells. And 
you know, you get people in this community that are like, well, I'm not just going to do that once a week. I'm going to just do it for a week or something. And, and at some point, you know, understanding that the human body is brilliant in its design and that too many senescent cells is a negative, but maybe there's a function for for some senescent cells. And so, as you said earlier, it's, it's the same as with exercise, like what's the sweet spot, right? Because based on our earlier conversation, somebody's going to say, well, you know, if exercising is going to drive aging, I'm going to stay young. I'm just going to sit here on the couch and I'm going to hang out and stay, keep all of my stuff pristine and which is actually wrong because then you'll just rest. So, you know, it's finding, finding that middle ground, but cellular senescent conversation is so interesting in that we want some, but not too much. And I think that's where you know, there's this space now where there's even a couple of supplement companies that are coming out with, with, you know, a program that two days a month, you might high dose. And in their case, they're just herbals. Fisetin, I think is one of them. But so you high dose it for two days. So two days in a row, you do your thing. And then you move on. And you've probably wiped, you've probably reduced your load of senescent cells without eradicating a whole population kind of thing or, or risking side effects from other things that fisetin might do is the other exactly. concept that is part of that and it's trying to mimic uh you know the, the, you mentioned rapamycin the same concept applies there because of you know its effect on mTORC1 which we want right. but maybe we don't want it on mTORC2 so yeah you're right and then and, and, you know without going into it i promise but that raises the concept of hormesis right yes find the sweet spot so yeah, you're absolutely right. And and so, yeah, you can expect to find some of these studies that contradict the absolute one side or the other, and you got to find the sweet spot. And that's, that's what I believe. We were talking about waking up 500 years hence, hopefully it's 100 years hence. I think we're going to see something like they have in Star Trek, where you have some mechanism that goes whoop, and picks up on all this stuff and finds the exact balance of what you need at that moment rather I, I than you know, some of these prescriptions be right you know yeah i think we're getting close to that you know i think we're already like there's hints of it in the world right and a lot of the conversations that i have with people are people looking for technologies or devices or compounds that help the body to come back into balance for itself like to restore balance and i think what's really interesting about the stem cell conversation is Okay, past a certain point, your own mobilization of your own stem cells is not going to be enough to undo some of the damage. So that's where we have to go to the next level, you know, and that's the kind of stuff that I think we're going to talk about next. But I think we're we're also seeing things like like PMF, pulsed electromagnetic frequency mats, that seem to be able to help cells to come back to a place where they function better. And if the cell functions better, then everything else downstream is going to work better. It's not yet going to do what a stem cell can do for you necessarily when you really need it. But if we can start raising the bar on what we can enable the body to do for itself from a regenerative perspective, then we're kind of giving ourselves more runway almost in a way. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's so many offshoots that we can discuss from, from just that line of thing you're talking about. <laughs> You know, certainly one thing that has to be mentioned is that the far extreme, you know, I always joke, you can't turn hamburger back into a cow. No. At some point, any dose of regenerative medicine is not going to cure something that's degenerated too, too far. I mean, I, I think we talked about it before the show. I've got two replaced hips. I didn't catch it soon enough. 
Yeah. Uh, you could argue maybe even if I did catch it, I play too hard and I would never be able to keep up with the degeneration I was doing to myself, you know, with whatever athletics. And so I, I would just be slowing the process, which has its own benefit. But yeah, then we have to look to other things, you know, in this case, a prosthesis to replace uh, what we couldn't do the work of with the regenerative medicine. But uh, when it comes to, uh, yeah, we've, we've got some supplemental synalytics, we've got some drug synalytics, and that helps call the herd to find that, that sweet spot that we're referring to. And um, in terms of the various choices we have, I'm trying to, I'm trying to stay on track now because you mentioned that's where you want to go too. Uh, you do have for the autologous, meaning your own stem cell production, you've got, um, you can, you can uh, get your body to, to produce more of them through a drug called Filgrostem. Mm -hmm. It's used uh, in and of itself. You can say, okay, body, we need some, some work from the bone marrow. We need those stem cells to be produced and you can just inject the Filgrostem. Or we can do it to initiate more production so that we can collect them. We can harvest them okay. through various methods. You're going to push more into the paravasculature of the fat so that when we do a liposuction, we can collect those mesenchymal, it's a certain type of stem cell uh, from the fat. And, and then we can store those. And what's really cool about those is we can also replicate them. Like we call it expanding them. Right. And uh, commercially now, we have a process, this American Cryostim is a company I work with on their medical advisory board. They were replicating it 30 times when academia was saying, no, you can only do it six times. That's proven. No. Um, and so and that, that genie, oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's all done with, uh, you know, uh, GMP standards and, and yeah, and I've used it multiple times. I could tell you stories. I won't today. I'll spare you, but on myself, my patients, stuff that's, you know, I include in the book we were talking about earlier, uh, you know, I call it miraculous. I mean, stuff that we just never dreamed would happen. Well, we would dream it. We wouldn't think it was practical, Exactly. but, um, you, you can uh, to talk about the genie in the bottle. I mean, that's you get one collection and you get 30 different, you know, P not all the way to P 29 uh, expansions. So those cells just keep, keep on paying back. Uh, that's one method. The other method is after you use the filgrostem again, you can collect these cells through apheresis. Think of a dialysis machine where you're taking blood from one arm, spinning it down in this case, to get the right cells you want and then putting the rest of the blood back in. Uh, that collects all three stem cell types. You can't expand those as yet, but they're your cells. You can bank them. Should you need them down the road, they're there for you. Um, and then, as you mentioned, from bone marrow aspirate, you can usually get, I don't know, 12 to 15 million. You can't expand those either uh, because those are, you know, all three cell types. Um and the problem with that one, I, I would say that's probably the least favorite because, you know, you, you'll feel like you fell off your bike for about two weeks. Yeah, no, it's a fairly it's, low number of cells. And then for the allergenic cells, we call them the ones that are not autologous that aren't yours. We can go to um, the, the best form is really umbilical cord tissue cells. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's something called Wharton's jelly, which contains the highest concentration but again, we're not necessarily necessarily convinced it's just about harvesting the stem cells. It's also some of the things I mentioned, the exosomes. The exosomes, and the yeah. And the cytokines that are also in the surrounding area and the tissue that come with it, they'd also have a lot of benefit. So uh, the beauty of that is that we don't have to put you through a procedure, mm -hmm. right? I've got athletes in my practice. Where are we going to find the fat on you, dude? 
or, or do debt. You know, that, that's an issue. There's some people that say, well, not only that, uh, but I wouldn't want the procedure anyway, or I'm going to fatten up for that. I, I spent my whole life staying in this shape. And, and so that's just not going to happen. Um, Aphresis might be a deal killer for people too. Anyway, any number of reasons where they don't want to go through a procedure, but we have them down the hall in the freezer uh, because we've screened properly uh, pregnant women's uh, tissue and made sure, you know, through third-party testing that not only is it safe, but it has the amount of cytokines, RNA, other growth factors in there that we want before we, we use it on, on a patient. Hey guys, guess what? We have another sponsor to thank, but this sponsor is possibly just as obsessed about longevity as you and I are. We are all about longevity on this podcast, right? Well, this sponsor is about finding the most innovative, incredible longevity compounds, supplements, and strategies that you can possibly imagine. And as a matter of fact, they market my most favorite longevity strategy and supplement, which are bioregulator peptides. The name of the company is Profound Health. Profound-health.com is their website. You can use discount code longevity15 off your first order. But not only do they have bioregulator peptides, which you know that I talk about all the time. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're going to have to go back and listen to episodes 42, 46, or 47 of this podcast you're going to be let in on a huge longevity secret. But on top of that, they also have amazing supplements all devoted to longevity and healthy aging. So definitely check out profound-health.com and make sure to use discount code longevity15 on your first order. And now let's get back to the show. Based on this new ruling in California, now now it's not only okay to use stem cells, but it is okay to expand them as well, because I know that that was a massive sticking point. And it's part of the reason why a lot of people will just hop on a plane and go to Mexico or to Panama or to wherever to have their stem cell procedures done, because down there, there are you know, they have no issues with expanding stem cell populations. Whereas in the US, I think for the longest time, it was completely no-go. Well, the issue wasn't so much the expansion of the cells themselves. And it gets a little complicated because you've got the doctor and you've got the laboratory and you've got right. shipment of the cells. So in interstate travel, uh, but you could expand them all day long. And so I kept using the, uh, you know, the, the vaser to, to do liposuctions and collect cells as well as the apheresis, uh, apheresis machine here uh, so that you would have them banked. And I didn't touch on this earlier, but I have to mention it now just briefly. The reason for that is, again, the advantage of your own cells is they'll engraft. Uh, mm -hmm. They'll go right to where it needs to go and differentiate right then and there. They don't have to contact the bone marrow and have a whole process going there. Yeah. But the younger they are, when you collect them, the better they're going to work. You're getting that car off the, the assembly line at 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, whatever, instead of 60 years. Right. You know, so so age, your age has comes into play in terms of the quality of your stem cells. So that's where yeah. you're going to go with the allographic, the allograph cells, like the from the outside. Similarly to, you know, think of, think of a, uh, you know, a female's eggs. Mm -hmm. She carries them with her essentially most of her life, right, until she runs out. But they're not getting manufactured on the spot. They're stored and released little by little. And so as she gets older, those eggs become less viable. 
Right. Similar concept with the stem cells, right? So you want to get them younger. Yeah. That's an advantage to, to, to collecting them. And then we call it banking, storing them yeah. at you know, roughly 180 below in nitrogen yeah. and uh, they have them when you need them. So the issue was you can do all that you want. You just can't send them back to the doctor and have them infused or injected in this country. Whereas everyone else in the world, except for the UK and Australia, you know, Thailand, you go to Thailand, you go to Costa Rica, you yeah. go to Cayman, you know, and have it done. No problem. Yeah. And with efficacy, Japan. All right. Okay. So let's talk about what we can do with these beautiful little cells. So whether you harvested them when you were young and were, you know, had the foresight and the resources and found the place to do it and now have access to them. So let's say, I would imagine even harvesting your stem cells in your 20s and 30s would be pretty all right, as long as you're living a pretty good life. And now let's say we're 50 or 60 or even older. What can we do with these stem cells? Well, just let me throw in one more thing. You know, one of the reasons why uh, you you want to collect your uh, your own um, vocal cord tissue if well, not if you're a, a, a newborn, but if you're the parent of a newborn, yeah, yeah, you're getting them for that newborn at the earliest stage you can get them, and they can yeah. be stored that cord. And with that cord, that's a lifetime supply of stem cells for that child. So that's that's where we can start that early. So that's the as best case people, scenario. That's a, yeah, that's that, our best that's, case that's scenario. Best yeah. yeah. Um, what we can do with them, I won't say it's wide open, but it pretty much is just due to the nature of what stem cells can do. Mm-hmm. Again, they're all about regeneration. So whether it's, you know, any organ, skin being one of them, right? We can treat it from the inside or the outside. We can use stem cells topically. We can use, in the case of stem cells, I want to be more clear. We, we bandied that term about, but, you know, the whole um, collection of cells and chemicals that come with those cells is what I'm really referring to. So topically, are you going to get a stem cell to go into the skin and replace another one? Probably not so much as what comes with it, the cytokines and other growth factors that will help the skin regenerate the tissue. That, that's what I'm talking about. But from the inside, certainly you can. Uh, you can infuse them. And, and one of the beauties is let's say you infuse, uh, let's call it uh, you know, 50 million cells. Those will expand within the body. Mm-hmm. And so the effect can be, say, three, four times that over the course of eight weeks or so. So it's not just the 50 million cells you injected, it's what they turn into because uh, they may replicate into daughter cells, we call them, multiple times before they finally stop generating more cells. More progeny, yeah. Yeah, so um, what else can we treat? I mean, uh, one of the things that's very interesting to me right now, we've been working on, you know, the NFL has a big problem with concussions, right? Uh-huh. Uh, and I think it was $73 billion worth of lawsuits have been filed. And it's a lot of money, even if you're the big NFL. Um, you can treat concussion after the fact, post-concussion syndrome. Uh, we're about midway through what we call an IND, an investigational new drug trial, where we're treating people with concussions and damage therefrom with infused autologous stem cells derived from fat. And of course we're getting what every other country's gotten with amazing results. Um, If someone is concussed and you infuse them within 72 hours, now this is based upon 
you know, rat studies, but they're very demonstrative. With rats, we can, you know, uh, open up the, the skull and see the lesions of the brain. We can see those treated and those not. We can also do uh, tests of their skills through the maze, all that kind of stuff. 100% recovery with the rats that were treated. And, of course, all kinds of messes and non-functionality, as well as continued brain lesion with those that weren't treated. But you're saying 70 within 72 hours. What about someone who had a, who's had because, again, the NFL is filled with these people and the world is filled with people who have had concussions and are dealing with post concussion syndrome years later. Are stem cells still able to help out there or do you have to really get it right away? What I'm talking about with within 72 hours is 100 percent recovery yeah. from the concussion. With the post-concussion, uh, post-traumatic brain injuries, what we call it, you know, uh, but post-concussion syndrome also, uh, that's something that absolutely helps. And we can talk about the plasticity of the brain. Yeah, uh, You're not going to restore scarred tissue. And I think that's part of the reason why you want to get it to within 72 hours. So it knows to replace a damaged cell rather than a dead cell, mm-hmm. if you will. Although mm-hmm. it can also fill the, the void in a dead cell because the other the surrounding tissue says, hey, next door to me is supposed to be another cell. Fill that in. Right. But if there's scar tissue there, that can be difficult to do, obviously, right? So, but but with the brain, you know, we used to think it was hardwired. Now we realize it's softwired. It's very plastic. Yeah. So you can reroute some of these uh, features, functions, whatever you want to call it. And uh, absolutely, you know, we see recovery from very unfortunately very large deficits from um they're not just nfl players they're you know there's oh, no, anybody yeah in hockey i mean you can name sports but you know anyone in life who gets concussed can have some pretty serious post-concussion deficits for sure no i mean look it's it's athlete and i would it's athletes and you know someone who's been in a car crash or somebody who took a bad knock on the head or it, it like i mean we're you know, whether it's because of greater awareness or there's something in something in the world is making people more susceptible to to brain injuries or and like I said, maybe it's just awareness, but there seems to be this thing where it's become so much more common than than ever before. Like I know that when I was a kid growing up, nobody talked about concussions ever. And I mean, I smacked my head on the skating rink learning how to figure skate many times nobody ever came over to look at my eyeballs and say oh you might have a concussion you better spend the next three days in a dark room like you know what i mean right. it hurt <laughs> now it could have something to do with some of the quirks of my personality who knows <laughs> well and not, not not to go too far into that but what happens we're finding out is that while there might not be any acute deficits essentially there's a possibility that you're digging into your reserves so that mm-hmm. when you're 80, hopefully 120, whatever it might be, that if there was damage, that that's when it expresses because you run out of that, I'll call it your reserve. Yeah. And that's when you go, oh boy, I wish I would have, could have, should have. Yeah, you know? I think I'm going to have to come see you one of these days. Um, I actually have an aunt who died of Parkinson's a couple of years ago. And my mom always talked about the fact that as a five-year-old, she had fallen out of a second or third floor window and smashed her head. And this is going back way back in Morocco, you know, let's say 65 years ago. And so, you know, probably somebody put a bandage on her head, maybe gave her, you know, like there would have been no advanced 
care of any kind. And she went through her life, whatever. And out of seven kids, the only one that developed Parkinson's disease. And you have to wonder sometimes, could it be that this brain injury that she sustained as a child created, you know, almost like, um, like a weak link or a weakness in her body. And then maybe there were, she was a big gardener. And I've always thought that there could be a link with, um, with pesticides and herbicides being a negative influence on the body. And so could it be that all of these things kind of stack up and then it shows up relatively early in life as a neurodegenerative disease that everybody's wondering, well, how did that happen? And you kind of, you know, these are the things in life that maybe we'll start putting those pieces together over time. Oh, definitely plausible. I would argue you just piece it together. There's nothing that doesn't make sense about that. And with the initial injury to the the area of the brain called the substantia nigra, yeah, that could just set the wheels in motion and the other things. And it usually is, I would mm-hmm. say, more often than not, as I mentioned earlier, a confluence of different things that cause this, not just the one, unless it's really gross. You right. know, and that yeah. normally you would notice it acutely, not not necessarily chronically down the road. So, yeah, what you just said is very plausible. Yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about one other aspect. So obviously, so stem cells have massive applications. They can, and when they're used, and I know you know lots of the uh, people in my community will go in. They'll do a stem cell. Well, not lots, but some will do a stem cell IV for kind of like this whole body rejuvenation. They'll have stem cells injected into their joints and this, that, and the other thing. What do you do to prepare the body? Because one of the things I've talked about with people, and I believe, is that if you're in a state of inflammation and you're inject a bunch of stem cells into, you know, you've got massive inflammation in a joint, you inject stem cells. I liken it to sending, you know, sending the crew, the Renault crew into a burning house. Like the house is not going to get fixed. And so <laughs> you're laughing. Is that a good analogy or a bad analogy? Well, I'm laughing. You no, know, I mean, I'm laughing at your analogy, but actually it's, it's actually the other way around because- is it really? Okay. One of the contraindications for, first of all, harvesting stem cells from the body using apheresis, for example, you know, the filgrim stem that we would use to 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 uh, get those cells into the bloodstream from the bone marrow, it will not work if you've just done a course within the last 90 days of any sort of corticosteroid, which oh, would reduce inflammation. What's, what's, this is what's so beautiful about stem cells is they know what to do. They're going to the fire. They're, and as a matter of fact, they do it with priority. So, and again, this is all based on what we know so far. Uh, they're going to go to where the the fire is the hottest and where there's more damage going on. Um, and without that as a homing signal, they don't know. And so you actually, I'm not saying that you should let yourself get into any sort of disarray in an inflamed condition just to make the most use of your stem, your stem cell infusion they'll know where to go and, and still stay as, as, uh, you know, pristine, we'll call it as you as can. Vibrant. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, uh, certainly don't treat the inflammation prior to it. That would be the wrong way to go with something strong like a corticosteroid. Uh, but it, it stem cells know what to do. Now, if you've got a bad knee, that's one of the beauties of it is, uh, for example, I used, um, this is a quick offshoot, but platelet-rich plasma yeah. and the therapy they're from we've been using for quite a while longer and those are aggregating your not stem cells but some of those other factors we talked about the cytokines the growth factors that signals i like to combine those two umbilical cord tissue cells with prp because 
you're getting a little bit of your own plus some of this newborn uh, cell because uh, the PRP, the growth factors take a long time, typically roughly eight weeks before you're going to see a pretty good benefit from their use alone. But because of the very strong anti-inflammatory effect that you can get from umbilical cord tissue cells, you'll get someone who gets immediate relief roughly two or three days from that. And then through both of them, the long-term benefit uh, after about eight weeks. So yeah, uh, just to, you know, cause we're talking about inflammation, uh, another beauty of it, it, you know, it's not going to work like a, uh, a cortisone shot, which is strictly an anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it can work fairly similarly depending upon the injury very quickly. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, so that's really interesting because I've always thought that, I mean, and I wasn't thinking cortisone shot at all. Like I think that cortisone shots are, you know, I mean, look, sometimes you need it to get somebody out of a really bad spot, but in general, they tend to be more like long-term they're more harmful. Right. Like, you well, know, that's they, a, that's a discussion for a long time that the analogy I use is a rubbing compound. So, you're going to, when you use rubbing compound on a car, you're going to shine up the vehicle. The paint's going to look better. But what's the mechanism? Because you're taking off the top coat of paint and revealing mm-hmm. what's underneath it. Yeah. The same with cortisone. You're getting rid of the in, inflammatory products, but in the process, you're also damaging some of the good tissue. Right. And that's why a lot of physicians have said, uh, I remember growing up, you know, you get three cortisone shots. Someone says three cortisone shots in your life and that's it. Well, that's, that's, not the case at all at all yeah uh, cortisol actually is something very close to that is something that we all need to survive without it you're dead so it's not like it's a super bad thing it's just when you use an excess you're you know you, you are reducing inflammation but you are doing some robbing of peter to pay paul so you don't want to use it in excess and and too frequently right and of course if you have the choice between that and and you know to your point there's some cases where that's all you can use yeah. You know, they're usually in a burden situation or close to it. But if you have a choice for the long haul, you can get the reduction in inflammation and heal the, let's say, the joint capsule or whatever it might be, and you're regenerating, that's an easy choice, right? Yeah. No, well, I mean, it, it comes down to dollars and cents for a lot of people, for sure. But yep. right know. now, that's, I was going to say, that's probably the biggest factor at this point because a quarter loan shot may be a couple hundred dollars, uh, whereas, you know, stem cells or the stem cell products, you know, you're probably starting at, you know, a couple thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And I mean, look, I mean, I think sometimes if people did the math properly in their heads, as long as they had access to the money, you can make the math work. You know, I yeah, think from a value term, perspective, exactly. from a amortization perspective, it's, you know, like I, I bought this great mattress and which probably cost me, I don't know, four or five times more than most people will pay for a mattress. And people look at me going like, are you insane? Including my husband, actually. (laughs) And, and I'm like, think about how much time you spend on that mattress. Think about how many years it's going to last you. Divide it by the number. You are absolutely preaching the choir. I'm not going to tell you how much I paid for mine, but it was a King's ransom and it was worth every penny. Right. I'm just saying. So anyway, and so, yeah, so for stem cells, so, Okay, so let me go back to my first question then. Um, do you ask your patients to do anything to prepare for their stem cell infusions or injections or treatments? No, only in preparation for a harvest. Um, okay. 
there's a there's a filgerson I mentioned, but also there's a product um, made from a cat's claw. It's a derivative of cat's claw called AC11. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's another senolytic, uh, and I'll have them on it for a month. I actually got. I have to share. Uh, Dr. Gian Papa was the one who introduced me to that. Um, you know, he's a I think a plastic surgeon by specialty, but has gotten into anti-aging and I think written a, more than a few books. Uh, but that's one thing I definitely, uh, you know, you take something of value from everybody. Hopefully, Absolutely. Right? But there, there's plenty of research showing that that's a good tool so that when you do harvest, you're harvesting the best cells you can get. You don't want to harvest senolytic cells. I mean, sorry. Uh, uh, senescent. Uh, senescent cells, right? Yeah. That's kind of defeating the purpose. You want the best you can get. And, and let them get old on their own. Don't don't uh, further the process any more than you have to. So uh, that's really the only thing I can say. A month before harvest, I would have you take this substance called uh, AC11. Right. And just to to bump it up. So would you maybe do, would you do a course of senolytics to maybe reduce the senolytic load and then do the AC11 to kind of boost production? And might that add up to a better harvest? Well, you could, uh, you could use any other senolytic i mean i would argue that that's what ac11 is doing it's also doing some repair to the damaged cells so would you say that there might be value in addition to doing it's the ac11 right to to increase the release of stem cells so would there be and maybe you already do this or maybe there's a reason not to do this but would there any be any value to maybe do a course of senolytic to maybe reduce the senescent cell load and do the ac11 and that way you've kind of cleaned up territory a little bit, plus you've pushed extra stem, stem cells? No? Yeah, no, I, actually, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. The, the AC11 is is not the, the substance that's increasing the stem cell count and production. That's something called filgerstin. That's a drug, oh, new right. is the brand name. But the AC11 is for just that. It can, it can repair some of the damaged cells, but also if the cell is damaged enough, it, it's a senolytic and that's exactly what it's for. Yeah. To cull the herd. So all your harvesting is the, you know, the strongest, the best of the best. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. There were so many topics in, in your topic list I wanted to explore, but you know what? I think, um, I think what we're going to do is we're going to save some of those for next time. Is there anything else about stem cells that you think we should talk about before we kind of wrap up? Because it's such an exciting area, right? There's so much. Well, the only thing I would I would suggest is that um, with the technology we have right now, and I think it's going to change so that uh, with some of the work we're doing with some of these guys that are pioneers um, in anti-aging, we're going to find a way to make older cells younger. I mm. believe that. That and five bucks will get you a Starbucks cup of coffee. I don't have anything on the table that shows we can do it. We have some evidence that it's possible, we believe, when you connect two mice together, the old mice, the young mice experiment. Um, So we think that we could take, you know, my 60-year-old cells, if we harvested them today, and make them 20-year-old or less cells. So better, you know, we can rebuild that 40-year-old car. Okay. And get it, you know, so it's right off the, the manufacturing line. But in the meantime, it's a good idea to harvest cells as soon as you can. And you mentioned affordability. Yeah, as soon as you can, go through the process, whether it's apheresis or 
preferably, I would argue that the best way to do it right now, really, if you want to cover your bases, apheresis and uh, a lipo. So you're getting the mesenchymal cells from perivascular fat because the apheresis cells you can't expand, but you get all three types. The mesenchymal cells you can expand. So that'd be ideal. But get them while you're young so that you have them banked and stored. If, God forbid, you have an accident and need mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Or just hey, now I've got my younger cells that I can pace, you know, once a year or twice a year, you know, myself with an infusion, you know, to keep myself younger. Yeah, um, you keep mentioning three types of cells. What are the three cells? Because I'm sure somebody is is listening to this, going, Nat, why aren't you asking him what the three cells are? We have mes- mesenchymal stem cells. <laughs> well, you've got endothelial cells. You know, you in the, the cells that work on the the uh, the, the vasculature. You've got uh, um, hematological cells. You know, the things that make uh, the precursors to blood. And you got the mesenchymal cells, which are precursors to fat, bone, and cartilage. But the interesting thing is, I'm not so concerned about the um, you know their 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 nature from the get go. It's their expandability, which is most important. I think at this point, practically speaking, because mesenchymal cells, you can expand, and so you get more juice for the squeeze that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, you know the other cells are great, uh, but what's really interesting about you know mesenchymal cells, as I mentioned, you know they're precursors to typically for fat, cartilage, and bone, but we find they're very mutable. Yeah. So that. You- use them for, like I said, you can use a mesenchymal cell for uh, uh, cardiac myocyte. Yeah, for wow. heart tissue. That wow. Fantastic. Yeah, or, yeah. Or pretty much any other thing. When you get into uh, nerves, you know, particularly like spinal cord, then it gets a little bit dicier and we have to do more iterations and choose the right beginning cell. Again, for now, because of practical reasons, that's all the technology that we have available to us. And the protocols have to follow certain things. Hopefully it gets you know, much easier and, 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 you know, we could broad stroke it a little bit better, but uh, anyway, that that's for now. And it's always changing. So. Right. Love it. And okay. Soon. I have two more questions for you. One is, and maybe I should ask this one, my the one I was going to ask second, I'll ask that first. And then I'll ask my second one, then my first one last. Are you seeing applications for stem cells also with people with chronic diseases? Like we're talking a lot right now, we're talking about aging, which some people could argue is a chronic disease. We're talking about aging and we're talking about acute injury, right? Um, Like whether it's a stroke or a traumatic brain injury or, you know, joint, which is not as, as acute, but let's say it's degenerative. But what about, you know, are, are you seeing applications for stem cells at all in people who have like I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people with things like EBV or chronic Lyme or mold or, and they seem to have all these crazy symptoms that can ha- affect them neurologically and cognitively. Is there any application for stem cells in that world that you know of right now? Or do you think that's something we might see in the future? Absolutely. You've got, uh, you know, this is actually stem cells make up what we call the Buffy coat. That's, you know, those are your white blood cells. That's, those are immune cells. Um, and I've got two favorites. What got me into this to begin with back in somewhere around 2011, one of my patients, and I can say his name because it's public record now, David Lyons, mm-hmm. who has multiple sclerosis, came back from Cayman and said, Rand, I, you know, he had a lot of dysfunction on his left side. He says, my sight's better. My gait is better. Everything's gotten better. 
since I got treatment. And I said, what? I mean, I only read about this. I thought it was, you know, stuff that was coming down decades. And I said, I, you know, long story short, I called the president of the company. I got on their medical advisory board. I simply said, look, whatever you want me to help you with, I'm in. And nice. it's led to the fact that, you know, I'm, I told you I'm an I'm a, a investigator uh, in one of the post-concussion syndrome studies now. And mm-hmm. we've done a lot together. And, and it was just that was the start of so much more to come. One of my favorite stories is uh, a gal who I think at the time was 25 diagnosed with juvenile arthritis and, um, you know, in a wheelchair, uh, just miserable. You can look it up online. I tell a little bit about it in the book, but uh, it's a really good story to it's a happy story because it comes with a happy ending. She got several billion cells, not all at once, but over the course of treatment. And this is an immune disease. This yeah, is a chronic. Disease. Yeah. Um, you know, the classic picture of her on the beach jumping up in the air, right? You know, uh, arms and legs outstretched. Fully recovered with that treatment. That's, you know, that's the stuff you just go, this is a miracle. It's not a miracle. Obviously, it's science. But it feels like that because here was a person we had no answer for. We just had palliative treatment and at best it made her just slightly above miserable, you know, in yeah. terms of the physical damage. She had a great mindset, obviously, but yeah. And there's plenty of stories like that. I mean, from, uh, well, yeah, I was thinking of one where, you know, he had spinal cord injury and the guy was supposed to be, you know, on a ventilator the rest of his life. Uh, uh, they gave him uh, some stem cells in the spinal cord, pre-differentiated, and uh, he's not back to 100%, but, you know, they show him lifting weights and he can, you know, work his computer, obviously, stuff like that. I mean, those are things you go, wow, that's night and day difference in terms of a life of just yeah, not so good versus, wow. I mean, things could have been better if it didn't happen. But, you know, in the case of the juvenile arthritis, she's 100%, so to speak. Unbelievable. And do you think it'll stick? Or do you think, do you think it'll, for the juvenile arthritis person, do you think those results will stick? Or do you think she'll need more stem cell treatment over the years? Or do you don't know yet? I have not followed up with the story recently. She's not a patient of mine, but my my guess is that more than likely, unless we do a stem cell transplant, mm-hmm. which has been around since the seventies, right? Where yeah. you're completely erasing the immune system and starting over more than likely we'll, she'll have to keep doing infusions. Big deal. No, no, no I'm no, I mean, right no i'm just making the point i mean like okay yeah. so yeah uh in, unless she does a, com- a complete you know stem cell transplant okay no that totally makes sense okay last question how old is too old to harvest your own stem cells or does never it depend on the person never too old you know um of course it always depends upon the person mm-hmm. and what you're going to get out of it but uh, the argument is, I mean, just like the concept with PRP, uh, if you have to concentrate the, or if you can concentrate them and put them where you want, you've facilitated a process you're trying to facilitate, you know, healing a joint. Now, if you're talking about infusing them, even then, you know, you're accelerating the process. The body's not so good at mobilizing the stem cells. One of the problems is breakdown in communication. Certainly, yeah, you start running low on stem cells in the bone marrow. But uh, again, one of the factors that makes it not as efficient is the signals, the communication, the RNA we were talking about earlier doesn't work as well. 
mm-hmm. and say, hey, you know, like I said earlier, weight works over here. We got a problem that needs fixing. So, yeah, you just facilitate. You mobilize the cells. You harvest them however you want. And then you say, now we're going to step it up again. So, so never too late. Love it. All right. I love that answer. Uh, you're As someone once said to me, you're as young today as you're ever going to be. So now's the time. <laughs> All right. I agree. Um, Rand, why don't you tell us a little bit about the book that you have coming out, which will be out by the time this podcast airs and how people can reach you if um, they're looking for the magic juice. Sure. The book is called Cheating Death, The New Science of Living Longer and Better. Nice. Um, available on Amazon. I'm sure it'll be uh, available in the regular retail outlets, uh, uh, certainly by the time this comes out. And then... Um, our website is uh, www.psrmed.com. So that's Papa Sierra Romeo Michael Echo Delta.com. And hopefully there's a lot of information uh, that's useful there too. I'm sure there will be. And um, are you on any social media or you must be far too busy to do those kinds of silly things? When you say, <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Cause I was pretty hip when I was younger uh, to this sort of thing. My dad had an old Osborne computer, which was one of the original <laughs> ones. And I, you know, I took logic and computer stuff in seventh grade, but nowadays, man, I, well, you saw me, I was fumbling around with zoom earlier today. Uh, I, I don't, it, it's not just time. I, I don't, well, maybe that's, I, I'll, I'll say, yeah, you're right. It's the time, but it's I fine. don't, you do, don't have time uh, for these things. You're far too busy. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, I, I do Instagram to answer the questions that they tell me I've been asked and ditto for whatever it is, Twitter and Facebook and uh, LinkedIn. Are those the major LinkedIn. ones? It was, so LinkedIn's the professional is more of a professional kind of B2B platform. And then the other ones are more consumer driven. So I would imagine so you've I, got the answer is I have them and, and I answer questions on them. But as I'm given them by someone who knows how to operate the system, I don't. Nice. All right. So it's psrmed.com is the website. And then Cheating Death, excellent title for a book. The new, got your attention, right? <laughs> I got my attention. I'm like, I'm all in. I'm, I'm, I'm pre-ordering that baby. Um, so Dr. Rand McLean, thank you so much for being here tonight. It's been a pleasure. And I hope that we get to talk again real soon. I hope so too. It's been my pleasure and thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly or if you'd like to leave any comments or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.